Welcome to Who Needs School. Before we interview our uh, guests today, uh, first a couple of things. One, a um, number of you have suggested in emails that uh, we talk to some students, more students, and that's what we're going to do today. And the second is just to uh, offer some uh, comments, perhaps, on what we're learning as we go along here. And I'll do that before the interviews here rather than after. And I, the lesson, I think, here is to, uh, like a good business, listen to your customers. Um, I think that you'll find these two students to be quite uh, sincere, uh, very interested in getting a good education in the system of education, and um, they're worth listening to. And I think that's uh, an important thing and something we should do on an ongoing basis because I suspect that education is just going to keep changing and we want to stay abreast of that um, and look at it as a light at the end of the tunnel rather than in our rearview mirror. Our guests today are two seniors at San Ignatius College Prep, Riley Spar and Frankie Kimball. And I think that you'll find them very thoughtful and insightful. Enjoy. Well, a warm welcome today to Riley Spar and Frankie Kimball, who are both seniors at San Ignatius College Preparatory. And uh, just for context, we're speaking on St. Patrick's Day in 2022. So it's March 17th. They are in the uh, embarking in the final stages of their senior year. It's a ebullient time for uh, students here at SI. Um, so welcome. Thank you for joining the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very excited to be here. Pleasure to be here. I've heard loads, loads. Um, So let's dive right in. I'd love you both just to walk us through kind of your educational experience. Oh, uh, okay. So I'm I'm from Marin. This is Frankie talking, but uh, (laughs) I'm from Marin, and I I went to a K through eight elementary school, Saint Anselm's, and I went all. all eight years. And then I came to SI as a freshman. And I mostly because I had, a, I have a brother that went here and he graduated in 2015. So. so so do you feel like he kind of made the decision for you in a sense? You're just, he opened that door and you walked through it or were you intent on going to SI? Oh, he most definitely did. I mean, I used to go to his, he did theater. I used to go to his shows all the time. I went to almost all of his shows and I I remember coming to SI, and even just from like seeing the foyer, because that's all I got to see at the time, was I was so excited. And I would see all the people there, and I'd be like, this is so cool. I really want to go here. So yeah, he definitely opened the door for me. I would have never probably thought of going anywhere other than like public school or Marine Catholic. And Riley, what's, what's your, what was your experience? I grew up in the city in the sunset, really. I got assigned to a public school that was way too far for commuting for my dad, especially when I was younger. So I ended up being enrolled in a private Catholic school since preschool. It was preschool to eighth grade. So I had like a pretty small class, knew the same kids for all 10 years. And that was St. Anne's? St. Anne's, yeah, St. Anne's in the sunset. It was pretty good, good education. The like kind of struggled with the religious aspect as I got older, but I still received a great education. And then um, for me, I'd always been set on Lowell High School. I think it was because that was all I knew as a kid. It was like, Lowell's the best public high school in San Francisco. Like, you've got to go. And, like, it's not that Lowell isn't good. I, I almost did consider going there. But it was between SI and Lowell for me because once I got older, like, I discovered SI and I really liked all the programs and such and, like, took tours, all that, like, little eighth grader stuff when you're applying. But, um, like, SI came here freshman year, been here all four years. Um, 
definitely have challenged myself, like trying to take harder classes. Um, I don't know, like I just, it's been like, I want to say like your average high school experience of just like taking the classes I want to and kind of experimenting with like the activities and like extra extracurriculars around us. Yeah. And we'll get, we'll get into those. The, um, uh, I want to ask you a quick question about the religious aspect. So we were, as we were talking before recording this a little bit, you, you guys haven't really decided where you're going to college, but you're looking at bigger public universities in the East coast and, or up in, up in the state of Washington. And uh, if you, I would be interested in your reflections about the Catholic education piece of it. Obviously, yes, it's Jesuit school, but it's a it's a Catholic school. And you know what what has that experience been like for you, and has that had an influence on what you're deciding to do for college? So I was baptized Catholic. It was something that my mother always wanted. My family is Presbyterian, so there was like I never really grew up going to mass every Sunday or anything. Um, I was baptized by Jesuits also. Hmm. They, they let my grandma also help around. She's like a Presbyterian preacher. But um, as a kid, like we got little, like we didn't read the Bible obviously, cause we were like, what, like six years old, but we had little like Bible stories and pictures. So I grew up knowing the Bible pretty well, which made freshman year religion and sophomore year religion really easy. Never really had to study for Bible quizzes. Cause I know those stories like the back of my hand, but um like as I got older, instead of like my teachers in middle school kind of saying like, oh, like kind of like figure out your own belief. You can believe what you want. It felt more like a we've taught you all these Catholic morals and stories and like this is what you should believe. Um, coming to SI, I'd already known that like Jesuits were a bit more chill <laughs> than Catholics, which was nice because I wasn't expecting to like get roped into altar serving or having to go to mass like every month or so. Right. And I found the religion classes at SI pretty good. Um, I especially like senior year having the choice of my own religion class because instead of focusing on more Catholic background and such, like I can take world religions or science and religion and kind of have a new perspective on like religion from a different thing. And while I've, um, I'm, I'm applying to mostly public schools, like I'm applying to BC, which is another Jesuit school, right? But I think for me, I've had a lot of, Catholic or religious education where I feel like another four years obviously wouldn't hurt, but I think it'd be nice to kind of get a new perspective from a public high school, or not public, public college, public college, college. Jesus, yeah. Yeah. yeah, public university. Like I wouldn't be like, like I'm not going to be so upset and heartbroken if I go to BC, like it's an amazing school, right? Or like if I was to go to any religious college or such, I like it wouldn't affect me that much. I've taken religion classes since I was like in preschool right but for me it's just something that I've experienced it for about probably like what 12 years yeah, just be a, be a little broader experience yeah a more you, broader right? experience yeah. a broader experience like religion's already something I've learned for mm-hmm. my whole education so for me it's more so I don't really see a need for it or necessarily yeah. a want for it for my next four years of education so Frankie any perspective on this uh kind of similar to Riley uh my school was a bit more, I would say, progressive when it came to actual like teachings of religion. So I, I have just more of like I guess apathy. I'm not like, I'm not. I'm just kind of. It's there. It's like I'm a. I'm baptized. I'm confirmed. But I'm not. You know, I don't go to mass really. I don't do. I don't do follow any really of the practices. Um, and I think SI has been really great in that, almost in that religion sense, because it's a lot less focused on individual 
Catholicism or Jesuit practices and a lot more on spirituality. I found in a lot of my, in, I would say all of my religion classes, it's a lot more spiritual and working religion or any sense of higher being or idea into your life and how it'll fit with you. So the, and that's a gift that the Jesuits, I think, have given the church and the world, right? Mm-hmm. This is Ignatian spirituality where you learn the tools to better listen to how God might be speaking to you yeah. in your life and in your circumstances rather than the, the, the you know, umbrella of the rules and um, kind of practices, of, if you will, of, the, of an organized religion like the Catholic Church. Yeah. That's fair to say, huh? Yeah, totally. And I think... I think, yeah, for me, college, um, in terms of religious or no, or it's more, that's just not a big aspect of my searching. Um, I have a pretty, there's like, I have a couple religious schools. I've applied to like Fordham. That's a Jesuit school. A couple more, uh, you know, so I'm not not off the table. It's not off the table for me, but I'm not, you know, it's, it's a, it's a piece that's there, but I'll. I'll acknowledge it if I need to. It can be ignored. Or so the, my next question to you is, um, I, it's a fair question, but it's also somewhat unfair because a lot of times we understand our education when it's in the rearview mirror. We've got the perspective of kind of having some distance between, you know, life, our life experience in between what we're doing and what your schooling's been like. But you are, are seniors and, and certainly have, you know, been in school for all, most of your life, right? Yeah. Uh, what's, and this is the, a, a broad question. It is um, not just about high school, but about your uh, grammar school experience and not just about the classroom. could be what happens outside the classroom. What's worked and what hasn't? I think what's worked for me, especially as I got older and kind of understood what worked for me and what didn't and what I liked in classes and also just what I like to study is when teachers kind of not necess- not no not so necessarily let kids handle the like class but let them lead discussions more and like ask the questions that we want to ask like i love like socratic seminars in english classes because while it can be like kind of awkward to get it started or there are like silent periods and it's stressful to talk in front of a whole class it's nice to kind of be able to talk about what you want to talk about in an english class and not kind of be like oh like we're talking about like the great Gatsby today and I have nothing to contribute. Like you can pull from whatever literature or whatever mm-hmm. ideas you have. And like, for me, especially like being a senior, like, you know, I like, I feel like I'm actually being treated like a senior and like, I'm able to kind of take my ideas in the own way, in my own way and be listened to by my teachers, especially who will like add insightful comments mm-hmm. and such. So the teacher's managing the conversation rather than Leading it, yeah. Leading it, exactly. That's good. Do you think that's just a quick question to follow up on that? Is there something that's age appropriate to that? Well, like, I think when you're a freshman, you're very young. And, like, I feel like there's also that period in freshman year where you're very unsure of yourself and everything. And teachers kind of understand that you're just coming from middle school and it's a kind of a big transition, especially that you're going to need more guidance in your discussions and you might need a little push to talk Mm -hmm. and that. I think especially as you get older, you're like reading comprehensive comprehension skills and being able to look deeper into reading and gain an insight from it increases, especially at SI. Mm-hmm. Like my English teachers have all been really amazing at challenging me to like look deeper into the text and make better and better connections and kind of go further than like what's on the surface level. 
All right, I'll come back to you in a sec. How about you, Frankie? Um, I was actually going to say something very similar. I think, I think, though, it's it's really interesting to see how teaching, especially from freshman to uh, to senior year, how it kind of evolves and how I was saying it's like the training wheels get taken off. Like you don't need as much help to talk about an English book when you're a, a junior or a senior. You don't need you know, like explicit guidance. If you're in like a really high level math class, you can kind of, they know that you can handle yourself. I think it's really interesting to see, to see how even, but this also applies to the young group. It's like how all of these uh, teachers, you know, you get treated as, you know, an adult or as someone who knows what they're doing because everybody knows what they're doing. Some people might need an extra, you know, an extra step or, you know, maybe a little bit hands off to like find what they need need to know but you know everybody at the end of the day can achieve what they need to do and I think SI's teachers do a really great job of kind of pulling that out of everybody especially you know when a student is like willing to participate Mm -hmm. willing to give that that I think that's when you get really good I always found too from teaching when you have students that are engaged that is contagious right if you got a mass resistance it can be it can make it a little bit more difficult if you feel like you're just keep here continually trying to pull stuff out but if you got a willing audience it does generate even more discussion right yeah and i think that also contributes to the fact that you know you, when you're a senior you've been at si for four years you've gotten to know your classmates a bit better so it's not like it's the first day of your your first day of high school and you're sitting in your math classroom and you're too scared to ask a question yeah. because you don't know anyone in the room by senior year, there's like a very good chance that you know at least one person, if not your whole class. And, and you found your voice a bit yeah. too, right? Mm-hmm. You've done some things, a little more confidence, have some, you know, been thinking about stuff or prompted to. Yeah. How about what what hasn't? I think that I think COVID showed me that just a lot of like the way that just sometimes this is really broad, just kind of the way the system itself is structured can limit the full um, kind of breadth of teaching, like, you know, maybe uh, just in the way like a schedule happens, you know, and it was hard this year with our kind of weird hybrid schedule where, you know, maybe uh, you would get three classes a week or you'd get two. And I think that, you know, I think a change in how a schedule and how learning is prioritized maybe is one thing that uh, I think seeing, I think I've gone through, we've gone through three schedules mm-hmm. at SI. Um, uh, and I think each one of them prioritized different aspects to be granted. A lot of it was in different scenarios and different situations. But, you know, I think that that is one thing that maybe isn't not working, but is something that is going to be looked at a lot more coming out of COVID is like, how can, how can schools better, um, kind of find the way to giving the best chances for success in terms of like how a class is structured or how classes are set up or how many classes you have. I think that's going to be the big kind of talking point for uh, the next, I don't know, five years about learning and how to learn. Good. I'm going to swing back to that. Riley. Yeah. To kind of add on very similar, but I feel like COVID kind of messed with curriculums. And I feel like curriculums were kind of iffy before because I feel like with set curriculums and like almost all subjects, I feel like sometimes a class may want to focus on something for a bit longer or they don't feel the need to study it as much. But because of like the curriculums that have been set, 
that are beautiful. I love all the curriculums. I love all the books that all the English teachers pick out and the way that math classes kind of have a set path to follow so that you're learning this and then you have to recall it later when you're learning something more difficult. But with curriculums, especially, I think this was very obvious during our like hybrid learning, especially when we were online, is that because of a lack of time in classes, that like some of it had to be cut or shortened and it kind of rushed students or they didn't spend enough time on something they really enjoyed or it kind of makes education feel less personal and it's more like something that this is something I have to do for the next hoops you gotta yeah, jump you just, through. It's like a motion kind of thing. You're like running through the motion of like, oh, this week is this unit. And if I was taking this class next year, like if that, like, like, you know, that like the seniors next year, like the current juniors, like they'll be doing the kind of same curriculum we're doing now, like following right. the same pattern. And while obviously like we're learning things that we need to and things that we enjoy, it can kind of be demotivating to like, know like, oh, like I know what we're doing in a couple of weeks. Like this is how the curriculum follows right. a pattern. So I'm going to swing back to some things that have worked or not worked in a bit, but you both have touched upon something that I wanted to delve into a little bit. We were literally talking two weeks, almost to the day when the announcement went out that we would be shutting, you know, in-person instruction for two weeks. And, and I think it was March. It was right around the 17th, 16th of March, I think. It was when the 16th of March is when the city went into lockdown. So it was the city went that, lockdown, yeah. right. And so we were taking a two week hiatus, right? <laughs> two years later, um, just this past Monday, we were able to come to school without masks on, right? Yeah. So it was kind of liberating. What, what, and I, in my kind of viewpoint is that COVID has accelerated. All things COVID have accelerated changes that were afoot anyway. Mm -hmm. Like that's just accelerated change in a lot of industries. What did you learn as students about this experience that might, that we should pay attention to these past two years? Like what, what are there things that worked or the things that we learned or did you learn anything about yourself? Just an open conversation about COVID lessons here. I think COVID was like, it's, it, everybody always says they know how to learn and everybody says, I'm good at this type of learning. I'm good at this type of learning. And you might know, but I think a lot of people just say that. So to like know, to have a stance on like what type of things they like to do in class. But I think that COVID for me, was like the, the worst of the worst, like in like, like just a not, like it was just hard. And that's not at any fault of any teachers because they were trying really hard, but it's just hard to learn and it's a hard situation to learn in there's so much going on in each person's life at home at school you're at home and at school together so i think that like coming back and like being back in the classroom really made it uh, made me appreciate it way more than i had like i you know the first week of coming back i was like oh it was so nice being at home i got to wake up at I didn't have to wake up like 45 minutes early and drive here and like all that. But then I, it's, I, I, you can't beat it. You can't beat like seeing people and like being with your class. And even last year when we were juniors, just being able to sit, sit there, we didn't get to talk a lot or do a lot of group stuff, but it was still, it's nice knowing that, that other people are there too. Mm -hmm. Cause you, you lose that. You kind of lose that when you're on zoom, you, you see them there, but you'd, you don't know what they're doing. They could be on their phone and you just can't see it. Like, yeah. I think at a deep subconscious level as human beings, 
we thrive off of being in contact with other human beings. I mean, it's just been kind of the natural order of things. Mm -hmm. And then that was just ripped apart. And I I think that's certainly one of the, at least from my viewpoint, one of the lessons is it's important for our own human development and human being that we are in, you know, community with and in communication with and in proximity with other human beings. How about your perspective, Riley? I have quite a few feelings about how COVID especially affected learning and like my own high school, high school experience. I think one part was kind of touched on is um, I feel like a lot of classes are always interactive, especially like sciences. Like we have uh, like most mostly like when you're in sophomore year, take chemistry. Right. And a lot of that is labs. Right. Hmm. So I had my like teachers like planning labs for when we would come back in that two week period. And like the labs you can do at home aren't the labs you're going to be able to do in a classroom, right? Like you can cook an egg for chemistry, right? But you can't actually mix the chemicals together like you would in a class. And like similarly, I kind of working together in group projects, that kind of thing, bouncing ideas off of each other. And I also think another important thing, I've also found this in my so, own So life. just to oh, clarify yeah. that a little bit, were there things that you were able to do at home that worked or, or like, or... And did the teachers manage like when you did come in to do those group things together to the things you can only do in a classroom? Did that, did that work or what is, was that missing? I think it worked. There were certain things that like we've seen change. Like I know the physics car, for example, that's usually done in pairs or I think groups, I believe, mm-hmm. but we had to do it individually at home and get our own supplies, which was fine. It was mostly cardboard and whatever you could find. But not being like in a class to kind of see what other kids are doing and bounce ideas off of each other and be like, oh, so this worked for you. Will this work for me? Mm-hmm. Kind of was a bit like it's always a bit jarring and you kind of feel very, I feel like alone in your struggles because all you end up seeing is like the finished project, the finished product mm-hmm. of projects. So you're like, oh, that kid must have like gotten it like immediately. Like that looks so much better compared to mine because, you know, you're not in the classroom working on it like a, like alongside mm-hmm. other students and seeing their failures and what works for them and kind of, you know, like, oh, this worked for me, but I've kind of fell short here. Let me like talk to my fellow classmates mm-hmm. and see what worked for them. And like, I can offer my own advice. Right. Yeah. The, that's the power of doing a group project, right. Or in being able to collaborate, that whole piece was missing. Yeah. And even just like individual projects, like you can still kind of like talk to other kids in your class and kind of be like, what are you doing for this? Like, mm-hmm. how's this working for you? You know, like you even see that with like essays, you know, kind of like the whole like proofreading thing mm-hmm. and getting an editor on that. They give their own ideas and like help out, be like, oh, like expand a bit more on this. And like you do the same. But when you're like at home doing the work alone and then like while you still may be able to share Google Docs to like edit mm-hmm. an essay, you're not having that in person, like seeing like the pen yeah. touch the paper. Even, kind of even a Zoom call is a little bit different than yeah. doing that in person. What are, are there things that you think that will that will sustain that worked? I think, I think when you were talking about, you were talking about acceleration and accelerating processes that were already happening. I think that, uh, you know, technology and kind of the, uh, the benefits of technology are going to really be coming more and more important mm-hmm. as the years go on. I mean, SI has iPads and all that. And SI, I would say, is pretty forward in terms of their embrace of technology. But I think that the the use of technology in the wide breadth it can provide to almost every subject in 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 small or large ways, I think, is something that's going to be a lot more uh, more uh, 
I guess, tantalizing to mm-hmm. teachers or to educators because and accessible, right? Yeah, it's, accessible. It's easier, yeah. Uh, because it's becoming easier. It's becoming more accessible. Stuff like Zoom, you know, it made online teaching a f- like a feasible option because of its resources that it provided. So I think you're going to see a lot more uh, kind of school-wide or board-wide, uh, like a public board-wide um, acceptance of technology uh, into schools and like the use of technology and how it can be used really well to to increase learning. Yeah, so teachers can, by, you know, sometimes by nature can be somewhat stuck in their ways, right? That really forced all teachers to get out of their comfort zone and mm-hmm. embrace certain technological elements in order to to continue teaching. Yeah. Anything? What worked? You know, what yeah, were the what things worked? worked? I think, like we see it this year with our whole like we get the, the like before finals week we had a day of office hours, but on Zoom, right? right. So for me at least, like I didn't have to go to all of them; they weren't necessary. And if like I needed to, I could spend a bit more time in a specific office hour because like the teacher had it going all day, right? Which I think is especially good for things like finals. If like you know, like you're very easily passing one class, but you need help more so for one Give final. Give some space to allocate your yeah. time towards your Instead study. of having yeah. like 30 minute classes for each subject, mm-hmm. like in person, mm-hmm. I got to kind of choose where to like allocate my time to instead of being like, oh, like I don't really need help in this certain mm-hmm. subject, but I'm going to have to be in class for 30 minutes and like worry about the other subjects I need help with. I could instead spend like 60 minutes with that one teacher, that one subject, reviewing it more so because I needed the extra help. I think that Zoom and like kind of online learning, while it was a bit messy at times, and I think, you know, I, I think for me also, the like distinction between home life and school life was very blurred and still kind of is now mm-hmm. because of that. What it did give us was the opportunity to be at home and, you know, have the like resources to still reach out to teachers and other classmates and like get that help that you need at school at home, which is a lot more accessible. I feel like at times. Interesting. Good. It will be, I'll be fascinated to see, you know, how, what does stick and, you know, how things go on. I think you guys had touched upon, and this may be a question more about human nature and how we develop as human beings is this, is the structure we've superimposed around education. So if you really step back, right. And think about how this whole system has been, put together it's a you know factory model in an agrarian calendar right <laughs> you go to school from august to, to you know take a little break around christmas and then you're you know january to to june somewhat arbitrary right and yeah. then you're going to school from nine o'clock to three o'clock every day whatever that that time frame might be and you walk into a classroom and you've you've sitting in rows typically and the teacher has a lesson plan that wants to get you from a to B in the course of that time period. And then over the course of the semester or year, I want you to get from, uh, you know, from X to Y in terms of covering all the curriculum. It's like turning out cars in a, in a, you know, assembly line. Do we need that? I mean, is that, do we have to, do you need like a structure in order to learn? Like I was, and I'm going to digress again for a second. Um, but as a student, like it, Deadline for paper was kind of important. Like if we didn't have that deadline, I felt like it was never going to, it wasn't just going to get done on my own accord. (laughs) Although I had the curiosity and interest about what that subject matter might be, but unless I was forced to delve into it, I'm going on with this, but I'm kind of curious about that because we have structured it in this way. 
Well, I think structure is important in education. I feel like it puts a lot of pressure on young kids because, hmm. you know, I'm a senior. I feel like I can see the difference between like my freshman year self and myself now. And looking at freshmen now, I'm like, wow, like I was once that young, but like, like I'm still young now, like I may be 18, but I'm still very young compared to like how much life I have left to live, that kind of whole deal. But there's so much pressure because of the structures of like curriculums and like we have to get to this unit by the end of the year and we're already behind track. And it puts so much pressure on kids that I feel like it causes burnouts a lot more, which then kind of you're like already backtracking already. Like if you're already like so behind on work or you're already like have feel like you have so much pressure on you in your education and your school life. And then because of all that pressure, you experience a burnout and you're digressing more. It creates this constant cycle of like, going through the motions, you're not really learning to learn, you're learning to pass the class to get through the day. And it kind of like, we're 18, like we're like 17, like what, you've got 13 year olds at this school, I think mm-hmm. Maybe that might be the youngest 14, age. Yeah, yeah. Right. And like, it's an extreme amounts of pressure and like stress. And like, some of it can be personal and putting like your own expectations on it. But other times it's like, from other like family members, friends, those external too. pressures, yeah, right? external pressures. And you guys, I mean, I'm sure you felt like there's some ex- external pressure about college, right? Oh yeah, oh, where are you going to yeah. college, right? And <laughs> totally it becomes a marker of success for us, right? In a broad cultural sense, but we are as social beings; those are some of the things that we naturally gravitate towards. Yeah, like I think, especially with college, I think like, oh, like I have to apply to this school. Like, it's like perfect for what like like I think with college counselors they give you great recommendations I took a lot of my own college counselors recommendations I ended up really liking the schools Mm -hmm. once I looked more into them but it can be like oh well like I have a really good grade in science I should apply to this school because it's very sciencey based but do I even want to you know do something science related in my life and it creates I think also like it becomes a very competitive thing I also think I know like it's like all like and done in a very like loving way. Like no one has any malicious intent, but like the whole, I think, especially in the beginning of the college application process is you'd have some kids like already done with it. And that puts so much pressure like right. on yourself to be like, God, am I behind? behind. Like yeah. I got to catch up. And then like the deadlines and everything and kind of like having to get it all done, which is like, of course necessary, but like hearing about like other kids and like, Oh, they applied to like, double the amount of schools I applied to and they got it done before I did. And like, I like have so few to apply to or something like that. Like just like comparing. I, but, and, that, yeah. and that's, I mean, it's part of the uh, culture. I think that's yeah. just gotten out of control a little bit. They applied to 25 colleges. It's great. What happens if you get into all 25? Yeah. Then, yeah. then you got to choose. Yeah, then what, yeah, what do you do? Uh, uh, how about, what, what's your perspective on this? Uh, kind of similar to Riley's. I think that I would love to see, I don't, I would hope it's practical and I hope that that kind of the effects of online school have shown this, that a curriculum, a set curriculum might harm uh, learning in the long term, not only for students uh, and kind of touching on stress. I'm n- Students aren't also stressed. It's also teachers. I mean, my mom's a teacher. They got to make lesson plans like nightly. They got to make worksheets. They have to prepare. You know, I think a a more decentralized curriculum in terms of more, more decentralized in terms of lesson planning, in terms of going from X to Y or A to B, as you were saying, I think the chance to veer off and explore topics that might seem interesting 
or you might find interesting, I think that that's going to become kind of the future of, of education, or I would hope so, because that's where people can really find what they like. And that's where people discover their passions is, is when you get the chance to branch out from your history class that you already like, and you get to experience like, oh, this is a subject that I'm also really interested in. Let me write a paper on that. I did Go that. explore that. Yeah, I, that was that's happened to me last year for my world history class. And I wrote a paper on something I was really interested in and I felt connected. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's going to be, that's hmm. what I would hope the future of education to kind of move towards is that sense of, of, of every student is given material to learn, but it also comes with the chance to, to learn more create, for each of them. Create your own path. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. I think hmm. it should be kind of stressed more in education that while you may not, like while you may be doing really well in math, but you're more interested in like science that teachers and like a school environment should encourage kids to follow that path that they're not only good at, but they also enjoy, especially like, I think like with the arts, like encouraging kids to go into the arts for career paths, even though, you know, there's always a stigma, stigmatization behind it that you're not going to be successful in the arts. It's not something you can make a living off of, right? I feel like that really discourages kids. And like to kind of get back to what I was saying earlier, the whole, like, I feel like the college process is so competitive these days. Like I know when my dad was applying to college, he didn't have to apply to many because you could get into like a lot of, I applied to two. I think my dad only applied (laughs) to like two UCs, right? right? But now these days it's like, we were talking about the Berkeley thing earlier, right? right? How they like, originally had to cut back how many kids they could accept. And obviously that was reversed the other day, but college has become so competitive to get into that kids feel the need to kind of have so many extracurriculars, lead so many clubs, create so many things, do so well in school, take this many APs to kind of stand out against other kids because of how competitive college has been like made, especially I feel like we've seen this with like standardized tests, how like certain kids will do really well in them and certain kids won't, but and like, thankfully, now a lot of them are test optional, so kids can do what is necessary to make them stand out. But I think what I also hope for the future is that it, become, it becomes less competitive in a way that kids are doing things they don't enjoy just to stand out. Yeah. That kids are only doing the things that they really are passionate about and really enjoy doing and feel they're good at to get into the college they want to. And they're not just going like, oh my God, I have to be, I have to go open up a business. I have to go open a business and like do 27 (laughs) bake sales a week and like write a killer college essay on like how I survived a shark attack. And like, I have to get bitten by a shark to like get that essay to like stand out against other kids. No, I totally agree. I think college, the idea of college has become, I think it's just popular in terms of the population itself. It's so misunderstood. Like my mom, for example, she went to, I think five different schools. And that wasn't because it was like she wasn't a good student. It was because she was trying to, she was just finding the things she likes. You know, she went and got her psych degree at USF and then she went and got her teaching at like Dominican and her, and then she's, she's in college now. She's getting a, like a library studies degree Mm -hmm. at San Jose state. I think that college, college has become the end goal when it's the start. It's the start of your life. It's the start of the chance to do things you want to do. And it's treated as like you, you applied to this and you applied for this. Well, that's where you're going to be. There's the goal. There, you're done. Your goal is right. to become the CEO or to start the business. Not your goal is to learn about yourself and really learn what makes you happy. And there's so many like, 
there's such like an idea of like, I have to go to this prestigious school to stand out, to get a good job so that I can make money and then have a good life where it's like, you should just go to the school that you like and that you feel you'll have the most fun. That's a good thing for you. And also, I think I was talking about this the other day, but there's a reason why kids like, or like when you're in college that you kind of, a lot of kids will change their major because we're like forced to like apply with like a major in mind when you're like, what, 17, 18. And that's supposed to like be kind of like the rest of your life. Like, oh, you want to do marine biology? Like, well, that's what you're doing for the next four years. And obviously a lot of kids change it because we're still at an age where our brains are developing at like 18 and even in college that it should be more normal to not know what you're going into. Like when you're like applying to college and going into college and not knowing what you're doing. You because take an astronomy class. It yeah. just blows your mind. You want to go study that, right? Yeah, yeah no, it, totally. it's like there's so much you see. I think it's very common to kind of switch your majors for a reason because you discover so much more about yourself at college, not only because of the new environments that you can be exposed to, the new studies, the new classes, the new kids, but also because of how like you're still a kid when you go into college, even if you're like legally an adult, you're 18, your brain is still very much developing and you're still finding things out about yourself. Like Frankie said, the, um, you know, Stanford did a study some years ago uh, and they, I think they call it Stanford 2025. They tried to imagine what education might look like in 2025, which we're getting, obviously getting pretty close to one of their theses was that uh, college would just be the, the start and that you would go, you might go work for a couple of years out of high school, then go to college. You go to college for two years, you go work, you come back, or you you do your traditional college, but you're every X number of years, you're circling back. You're taking time off of work, six months or a year to go back to college, whether it's to explore an interest of yours, to beef up your, your skills in a particular industry, but it was this lifelong thing. It wasn't a, you know, a timestamp four-year thing. No. Sounds like what your mom's done, right? Yeah, no, exactly. Learn. You take advantage and, and, you know, universities and colleges have to design themselves in some respects that way. Um, We talked about kind of what worked, what what didn't. You guys focused on the, you know, classroom stuff. We talked, we got into kind of COVID experiences. What about outside the classroom? What has, has there been anything that you've experienced that you think's really shaped or formed you in a, you know, meaningful way? that hasn't been in, you know, a classroom experience, but a co-curricular. Co-curricular, I mean, like I was gonna relate it to my own family, but like my dad and I will have discussions where we kind of teach our, teach each other things. Like, you know, like, hmm. especially like my family, like my grandma has kind of paved a way. She's a lesbian preacher, right? So she has put the work in for the queer community, right? A lot of work into it to kind of, you know, get the rights that they deserve. Right. So, you know, it's been like a lot of like my family dinners, especially growing up, like talking about what's going on in the news or what's happening recently. Like I vividly remember the day that like gay marriage was legalized in the United States. I remember it was the day that Teen Beach movie came out. That is is how I remember it. But I remember like dinner that night was so joyous and like talking about the hopes for the future. And then like even now, like my dad and I will, he loves his little podcast on history and space. So he'll like talk to me about that and be like, oh, this is an event that happened. And I'll bring my own knowledge of like, I don't know, this sounds kind of goofy to say, but like a younger kid, like a younger person with, I don't know, more progressive ideas on the world, but like, you know, we're kind of changing the world as we grow up and kind of defining it in our own terms and kind of teaching my dad the right social things that are like are happening and how to be more progressive, not more progressive, but more 
accepting of what we're learning about our society, like more open. And back to co-curriculars, I think um, they teach us about ourselves, I think. And like, you could find your passion from a co-curricular, like if you... So are you involved in anything in particular? Yeah, I'm a part of the performing arts. Um, I love the arts. It's not something I would go into college for, I think, but because it's something more, I don't think hobby is the right word, but it's something I like to have fun with. So I wouldn't want to put the academic pressure on it. Like, oh, I have to do really well in this like play I have to put on to get like a grade. Because for me... You do that stuff in college. Yeah. It's an enormous amount of hours. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. For me, <laughs> the performing arts has always been something more like fun and something that I have friends in and that, you know, I can learn things about, obviously about like, oh, musical theater. Like we're doing Carrie at, at SI and we've learned, oh, like... Carrie bombed on Broadway and like that's not very educational but, like, <laughs> discussing like the reasons why it did and such right but for me my co-curricular my extracurriculars have always been a place where I can take a step back from learning and my education and the pressures on that and more so just find time to you know have fun with my life and kind of do things I want to do without like having pressure on it to be perfect in mm-hmm. it, you know I'm not a great singer, but I don't have to worry about like hitting the right notes because it's not something I'm going to put pressure on myself in compared to like, oh my God, I have to find the right vocabulary word for this English essay, right. you know, because I don't do so well with vocabulary per se for my essays. I love how you, uh, you, you know, your conversations with your dad have sparked a lot of curiosity. I um, think of a book and I will make a note and, and uh, I assume you guys are readers. I think you did enjoy this perhaps over the summer. And I can't remember if the book's called Leonardo it's called Da Vinci, but it's one of the two, but it's about Leonardo oh and Da Vinci. Oh my God, my dad has read that. <laughs> and it's it's a fascinating book because he was not schooled at all, mm-hmm. but he was extremely curious and would just follow that curiosity. He wanted to know what created the patterns in the ripples on a creek. So mm-hmm. he'd study that ad nauseum. <sighs> he wanted to know about um, what made a person smile in the muscles. So he would actually take cadavers <laughs> and carve up their, you know, their face to understand how the, how a smile worked. And that was, you know, we painted the Mona Lisa, you know, it's one of the most famous paintings ever. Um, but anyway, that's, that sense of curiosity was what drove him. Now he's probably the exception and not the norm, but there is something very human about our own curiosity. Yeah. I think extracurriculars were rather saying where it's a break. It's also like, if you, when you find the thing you like to do, whether it's an SI event or a school event or a, or a not school event, a, another outside activity, it's, it can drive you to, to enjoy school more because you're not dreading something, you know, you're not dreading like, oh, once I'm done with school, that's it. That's it. And then I'm stuck at something or I'm stuck at home or I'm stuck doing something I don't like. It, it's, it distracts you in the moment, but you're also, you're, you're kind of grateful for the chance to be away from it. So you can appreciate it more when you're back. So you, and you're not as tired of, of experiences of your experience at it. You're not as tired of being like, Oh, I don't want to be here anymore. Let me just go home and do everything really fast. So it's I can, invigorating. Yeah. yeah. It's invigorating. It's like a motivation. Kind it's of a motivation. The day sometimes. Yep. Yeah. I think it's really special. So, uh, I, I could, I, Thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. You guys are uh, very, very thoughtful and articulate and um, really, I think, provide some, you know, really a snapshot in time, not just in your lives, but in our collective lives coming out of COVID, seniors of the class of 2022, uh, 
you know, about the state of things today. So I'm very grateful for that. Kind of the last thing I, I have for you, if you have some thoughts on it, because you have touched upon it a bit, but what do you think the future of education looks like? That's what, you know, the kind of the question I've been driving at with this podcast. Any insights or any thoughts? And if, if you were to design this, this you know, beast of a, of a process, what would you do? I think that I would, I would said this, but I would love to see it be decentralized. And I think a lot, obviously, with just where I am, I think a lot about it in terms of higher education. And I think that, that for a variety of factors that aren't even just about students or teachers, when including like economics and world geopolitics, I think that, that school has become such a restrictive option. Like, I think of people my parents' age who maybe went to trade school or maybe didn't, maybe just worked. They just had a job and they did school on the side or they did a, a community college. I think that the school has become such a restrictive option in the cultural consciousness that the other options aren't presented because they're not seen as worthy, mm-hmm. even though they provide resources that we all need and provide job opportunities that sometimes may surpass what a university might give you. I think that's great insight. Become a narrow path, right? Yes. So who made the assumption that college was for everybody, right? Yeah. So every every school is supposed to be leading towards college. Back, well, you know, right around the time I was born in the 1960s, the trade school in San Francisco's school district um, that I'll think of in just a second closed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was around forever. And there, there, there was no more trade school. Everybody, every school was designing uh, a process for kids to go to, to college. That doesn't yeah. necessarily have to be the case. No, yeah. I completely agree with Frankie. Like where I hope it's going is exactly that kids more so follow and study what they see fit for them in their life. And not just because they know it'll bring them success later in life, but that they'll actually enjoy whatever they're studying. And I like to hope that it actually is going in that way. I have a younger cousin. He just turned 10, right? Um, and I see that a lot of his like after-school activities are like related to his school. They're hmm. offering art classes and karate and such, right? And what I'm really grateful for is that he's exploring all of them and like finding what he likes. Like he hated karate, right? And now he hates swimming, right? So like, you know, what's next? But he's trying. He's right? trying. Yeah. Right? He loves art. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to pay him to do more art so he doesn't give that up. <laughs> but I think that schools especially, I think you have to hope that they kind of get more progressive in their teaching and understanding that maybe these kids should explore their own paths. And additionally, I would like also hope to see that they kind of incorporate more of what's going on in the world around them into their studies. Like I know Frankie mentioned his history paper last year and how he got to write it on something he actually enjoyed. And I think and I think stuff like that, incorporating what's going on in the real world around you. In certain classes I've had, there've been, oh, like what's happening like with the legislations right now, like in my history class last mm-hmm. semester, we would talk about bipartisan bill, right? And I think kind of incorporating lesson plans around like what's actually going on in the world makes it so much more captivating for students because they can take that knowledge that they learned in the classroom and apply it to what's around them. And then they won't be like, God, I went to school today and I learned nothing. Like, right. when am I even going to use this? You know, that right. kind of thing. And that at the heart of it's deep critical thinking skills, right? Yeah. I think that's what we're trying to engender more than anything else. Cause those that'll stay with you. And there's a variety of ways to, to get to that. 
Okay, it was Polytech High School, just for our audience. <laughs> Polytechnical High School, and for whatever reason, just closed, you know, back in the 60s. Okay, cannot thank you enough, both of you, Riley and Frankie, for joining us today. Uh, and uh, look forward to maybe circling back in 10 years and seeing oh what's God. happened in the oh, little reunion. Yeah, all right. Well, thank, thank you. you so much. Thank for you having for having us. me. It's been so fun. So awesome. That's all for today. If you are enjoying these podcasts, please recommend them to friends and like them and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to it. And please keep sending your comments. I appreciate any feedback that you have at joevollert at gmail.com. Take care.